0: Bismillah rahman rahim alhamdulillah, Hamdan kathiran, tayyiban, mubarakan fee, kema yuhibu rabbuna wa yardaa, was salatu wa salam al-atimman al-akmanan al-mutelazimani ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa salam, Allahumma alimna maa yanfa'una wa anfa'una bima alamtana wa zidna min fadlika ilman wa ta'lima, innaka ala kulli shay'in qadeer wa ba So this is lesson nine in our journey exploring the meanings of Surah Al-Kahf. And we've now come to the third story in the chapter. And looking at the four stories contained in Surah Al-Kahf, I have to say that this one is my favorite. And because of all of the knowledge contained in this story, we're gonna have to divide our Tafsir of it into two classes. So we have this class, and then we have the class in December, which will be the last class before the new year because we'll be traveling. So today we start with that story, the story of Sayyiduna Musa alayhi salam and Sayyiduna Khidr or Khadir. There's two ways you can say his name. Now before we start with this story. I want to bring to your attention interesting connections and parallels within this chapter and these stories. When you look at the stories contained in Suratul Kaf, we have the story of the young men going into the cave, then we have the story of the the two brothers who had the one who had the garden. Then we have the story of Sayyidina Musa and Khidr. And then we have the story of Dhul-Qarnayn So we have four stories in this chapter Each story has something to do with rescue and deliverance All four So the story of the young men in the cave has to do with being delivered, rescued from the fitna of shirk and kufr That's why they left The second story, the story of the man in the garden, is a story that concerns one being pulled away from continuing in his shirk. Of course, this is if we interpret the story as him coming to his senses and coming back to guidance, right, and that's a plausible interpretation. We then come to the story of Musa and Khidr, And again, we have this theme of rescue and delivery. Because in that story, each incident that Musa witnessed in the company of Khidr was ultimately a story of rescue or deliverance. So poking hole in the ship was helping those poor people in the ship rescue them from having their property unjustly seized by the king. The story of the bad kid, which we'll get to, that was basically protecting the parents from the effects of this child and what he would be in the future and the story of the wall that was near nearly collapsed and Khidr repairing it without taking a wage that was delivering or rescuing those orphan children from uh, being subject to poverty and having to ask other people it was preserving beneath it the money that was stored away for them so there's rescue, there's deliverance. All of these, these two themes are found in all of those stories. Likewise, in the story of Dhul In the story of Dhul what is he delivering them from? What is he protecting them from? Yeah, and majuj. So there's this theme of rescue and deliverance and so on. And then we take that idea and we apply it to the entire chapter or to the first 10 and the last 10 verses, we tie that into what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi said. Whoever memorizes the first 10 verses or in one hadith, the last 10 verses of Surah Al-Kaf, they are protected from what? The fitna of Dajjal. So the whole Surah and the beginning and the end ties into our own rescue and delivery from the fitna of Dajjal. So rescue, delivery, protection, all of that is contained within every story in this chapter. And there are some other connections we're gonna explore, some very subtle and amazing connections and parallels between what's going on in this story. Now, we need to connect this story to one of the reasons for the revelation of these verses. We go back several classes and we remember the verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, where he tells the Prophet to be patient in the company of those who call upon their Lord in the morning and the evening, seeking his pleasure. And he tells them not to gaze furtively at what uh, we have given those people. So this verse is talking about a particular incident Where the Quraysh wanted to have a private audience with the Prophet uh, Where the poor among the Muslims would be pushed to the back or just kicked out altogether And so Allah Ta'ala revealed that verse But also the other verses are responding to their own arrogance the other verses are responding to those Quraysh who refused to sit with the Prophet unless he kicked those people out. This story is also connected to that theme. It's also connected to responding to Quraysh for their arrogant refusals to sit in the company of the Prophet with the poor among the believers. So it's a response. How? Because Musa alayhi salam had abundant knowledge, he had abundant righteous deeds, he had a very lofty station as a Rasul, as a Rasul from the Ulul Azmi, not Rusul, as a messenger from those messengers of high resolve. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the, Quran, the, the, the Torah to him directly. Allahu Musa taklima. Allah says in the Quran, he spoke to Musa directly He had all of these things, yet he sought out the company of Khidr and he humbled himself before Khidr to learn. And that shows you that humility is better than arrogance. So if Sayyidina Musa who has received the divine speech, who has received the Torah, who has been honored in so many ways, if he humbles himself and seek knowledge, seeks knowledge from someone who is of a lesser, a lesser status. What about Quraysh? How can they not humble themselves to one who's far greater than them? So the story is actually an indirect response to them, or it's highlighting the contrast between their attitude and the attitude of Prophet Musa <laughs> Alayhi salam. The ulama also say that this story of Musa and Khidr ties in with the story in the very p- first part of the chapter, the story of the Ashabul Kaf, kahf Why? Because the Yehud told Quraysh that they should challenge the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on the story of the young men. You'll remember in the very first class when we talked about the reason for uh, Surah Al-Kahf being revealed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is that they went to the Jews in Yathrib. And they told them, uh, after they described the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and what he calls to, they said to them that they need to go and ask him three things as a challenge. They said, if he informs you of them, know that he is a true prophet, otherwise he's a fraud and you can decide what you want to do with him. One of those questions, they said, ask him about a group of young men In the days of old, what is their story? For it is a very wondrous story, Ajib. So, note that when Quraysh asked the Prophet about the Ashabul Kahf, they're only asking what the Jews told them to ask. The Jews didn't tell them to ask the Prophet about Musa and Khidr even though Musa is the prophet of Bani Israel. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually teaching the Jews a lesson as well, and Quraysh. And that lesson is not knowing the details of an event in ancient history uh, is not uh, a proof that a person is a false prophet. Because being a prophet does not entail knowing all of the stories of the past and all of the details. Because who's, who's telling them to ask this question? It's the Jews, it's the Yahud. And Allah Ta'ala is basically saying that just as Musa salam was a true prophet from Allah, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala ordered him to go and seek knowledge from Khidr because he didn't know everything. So it's an indirect response to the Jews as well. Now this story is very unique in the Qur'an and unlike the other stories of other prophets and incidents, you don't find it mentioned elsewhere outside of this chapter. The story of Musa السلام, and Bani Israel is mentioned repeatedly in the Qur'an. The story of Sayyidina Nuh السلام, mentioned repeatedly in the Qur'an. Uh, the story of different prophets and, and their nations are mentioned repeatedly in the Quran, but this story is only mentioned once, and it's not even hinted at in the other chapters. So it is only within Suratul Kaf. And in the story, we don't even have details about when it took place, or where it took place. That information is supplied in the literature, in Tafsir which we'll be exploring, we'll we'll ask that question. Where did this take place and when? So the reason why the details are left out is because, as we've mentioned before, those details are not uh, not that important compared to the central themes of the story and the lessons they offer us. So we want to focus on the main points and not get caught up in the other details. But of course, to make things interesting, we're going to mention the details, but we focus on the main themes. Now, earlier I said that there's these strange connections and parallels. We talked about how the themes of the stories in Surah Turkaf have to do with rescue and deliverance, how the entire chapter is a means of rescue and deliverance from the fitna of Dajjal, But in the story of Musa and Khidr there are other parallels and other very strange connections I want to draw your attention to before we get into that story. So most everyone knows that the story of Musa and Khidr involves Musa traveling and meeting Khidr and then seeing three incidents, the poking of the hole in the ship, killing the young man. And fixing the wall that was about to collapse without taking any money for it. So these are the three stories or the three events that took place in the story. So poking a hole in the ship. Killing this rebellious young man and fixing a wall. Who's witnessing these events? Musa alayhi salam Amir Abdul Qadir al-Jazairi. He mentions a very interesting point. He says... That these three events are eerily similar to events that Musa experienced in his own life before having this meeting. So poking the hole in the ship, it's in a way related to the time when he was put in a basket and put in the water and rescued from an oppressive ruler. All right? You see the par- this is an interesting kind of parallel here. Pokes a hole in the ship to, to protect that ship from being taken by an oppressive king. He's in his early life as an infant put in a basket and put on the river Nile, thereby sailing away and being protected from being murdered by Fir'aun. Even though he goes right into the house of Fir'aun, but he's still protected. The killing of the young man. Is there a parallel to that in the story of Musa alayhi when he punched the, the Coptic guy and because the prophets are 10 times stronger than ordinary humans, he punched him and he didn't realize this is going to take the guy out, but there's a parallel. And lastly, repairing the wall without taking a wage. Is there anything? Very good. It was serving for 10 years. And in return for getting married. So it wasn't, he wasn't getting paid. Yeah. So just as Khidr repairs this wall without taking a wage, Musa Alayhi served as a farmhand for Shuaib for 10 years and that was the terms of getting married. So there's these interesting connections, right? There's the poking the hole in the ship to keep the king away. And then you have the story of the young men going into a hole, you know, the cave to get away from another king. You have Khidir killing the rebellious boy to prevent the parents from going astray due to his effect. You have the destruction of the man's crops in the earlier story. And that kind of became a way of him waking up. You have the fixing of the wall. And in the next story, you have L-Qarnain building a barrier. So there's these very interesting connections and parallels or shall we say similarities between the events and things that happened in the past or things that happened at other periods of history. So that said, there's a lot of detail to cover concerning the story of Musa and Khidr alayhim al and we're going to try to get to the first half of that in this class and finish it in the next class. It's pretty difficult to give uh, a point by point breakdown of the story because there's the Quranic narrative. Then there is the very long hadith in Sahih bukhari that talks about the story. And then you have the tafsir literature, which gives little details about some of the things that took place. So it's trying to put all of these three together in a narrative format, it's quite challenging So we're going to try our best to work our way through the story uh, Going here and there through the Quranic narrative, the Hadith narrative, and the Tafsir narratives And piece it together, Insha'Allah ta'ala So we'll start not with the verses We'll start with the first part of the Hadith of Ubay ibn Ka'ab anhu in Sahih bukhari Just the first part, and then we'll work our way through it in this hadith of Ubayn Makaab, he relates that the Prophet SallAllahu said that Musa alayhi salam was making a speech, a khutbah to Bani Israel one day when he was asked which person had been endowed with the most knowledge. So he's asked, who is the most knowledgeable person? And Musa alayhi was not aware of anyone more knowledgeable than them than him so he said i am allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the alwah the tablets he spoke to him directly and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also wanted to teach him a lesson because this is not a question of sinfulness it's that the prophets have a very high standard of adab between them and their lord so even if they say something truthful, there's a higher standard of adab and Allah Ta'ala uh, lovingly takes them to task. In Arabic, we call this uh, itab. It doesn't mean rebuke, it doesn't mean rebuke. Itab is when you gently and lovingly correct a person and guide them to what is right. Not for a sin, but a higher standard of adab. So Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala taught him by revealing to him that there is actually someone else a servant of his at a meeting point a junction between two seas who is more knowledgeable than him That doesn't mean that Khidr had a higher maqam, a higher station than Musa alayhi salam. What it means is that he had a very special area of knowledge that Musa did not have in certain ways right i'll be exploring more of that later so Musa alayhi salam upon being uh, told of this individual he had a great desire to meet him a great desire to go out and seek knowledge so he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is in the hadith how can i find him and Allah ta'ala told him to cook a fish Place it in a basket, and head to Majma al Bahrain, the junction or the gathering point between the two seas. And he says, the place where you lose the fish is the place where you will find this man. So Musa alaihissalam set out on this journey with his fata. Fata means young man, but it also means servant, and that fata is named Yusha bin Nun, as we'll see. And in English, we call that name Yusha is equivalent to Joshua. All right? And that is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts the story in the Qur'an. This is the background to the story. But in the Qur'anic narrative, the story starts here. So this is a gentle correction of Musa alayhi salam And once again, we tie this story or parts of this story to other parts of the chapter. Notice how we tied the story to previous things. This also ties to an earlier verse of the Quran. Because when Musa was asked by Bani Israel who who was the most knowledgeable, he said, I am. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala gently directed him to go seek out Khidr to realize that there are people who have more knowledge than you. That gentle correction For something that's not sinful But it's a, it's a high standard Of adab Is also reflected In an earlier verse in the Quran In, in this chapter Where Allah Ta'ala says to the Prophet Do not say about anything in I'm going to do that tomorrow Allah, Unless you say Allah." So that was a That was a guidance that Allah gave to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam instructing him on how he should speak about doing future things. We don't call that a rebuke. It's a form of guidance given a way of responding in the future. In a similar way this is a guidance to Musa to go seek out this person to learn that there are others who have more knowledge. So now we'll go to the story in the Quran And we're starting from verse 60 Where the story begins Allah Ta'ala says وَإِذْ قَالَ مُوسَى لِفَتَاهُ لَا أَبْرَحُ حَتَّى أَبْلُغَ مَجْمَعَ الْبَحْرَيْنِ أو أمضي Recall when Musa said to his servant I will not give up until I reach the junction Of the two seas or rivers, even if it takes me years. So the story starts here. It doesn't give us the background of what led him to go out on the journey. It starts with him saying that I'm not going to give up on this journey until I reach the destination. So who is this Fata? In the translation you have, it says servant. In Arabic, the word Fata means youth. But in the Arabic language, because Service is most commonly associated with young people serving those older than them. Fata also means servant. The Prophet sallallahu tells us in the hadith that if someone owns uh, slaves, you know when slavery was the norm, he said uh, let none of you say abdi or amati. Let them not say my abd, male or female. Let them say uh, ghulami or uh, uh, Fata'i, right? My, uh, my servant boy or Fata, youth. So the word Fata means servant, but it's not, uh, it doesn't have the same signification, if you will, as Abd or Abdi. So this was his servant doing khidmah for him on the journey. This is Yusha ibn Nun ibn Ifraim ibn Yusuf. The nephew of Sayyidina Musa Alayhi salam, and he's following him on this journey and Musa says to him لَا حَتَّى أَبْلُغَ مَجْمَعِ البحرين. I will not stop. I will continue traveling. I will continue seeking this man until I reach the junction between the two seas. In the translation you have, it says two rivers. That's possible because the tafsir literature gives us different interpretations, different views among the early scholars about where those two bodies of water met. Where were they geographically? They're trying to be exact. There's different opinions. So some would say that those are two rivers coming together, others saying two seas, and we'll, we'll talk about that. So he's basically saying we're going to keep going, doesn't matter how long until we reach the two, the junction of the two seas or rivers. O uh, Even if it takes me years. حقوب, it, it means literally 80 years, a generation. right? So a generation of human beings is a huqb. It averages about 80 years. And in the Quran, Allah uses this term to refer to uh, multiple generations as well. In the Quran, in Surah naba Allah Ta'ala says fiha ahqaba," Speaking about the people in hell, He says they dwell therein, ahqaba. So it's literally one generation after the next, successively going on for eternity. So that's how it's used in the Quran. So He's basically saying, we will continue to seek this person out until we get to the meeting point, the junction of the two bodies of water, even if we have to take a whole generation, 80 years to get there. That's dedication. So where is this Majma' al-Bahrain, the junction or the meeting point between the two seas? You'll note that Allah Ta'ala does not identify the exact location. That's the norm for the Quran. It's not identifying exact locations most of the time. Because it's really immaterial to the story. Does the do the lessons of the story change if it's here and not there? No. Story is the same. Lessons are the same. But of course, as you've seen before, it doesn't stop the scholars of Tafsir from trying to figure out from pre-Islamic sources where it might have been. And you have different opinions. There are many views. Some say that it refers to the uh, rivers of Faris and the which I'm not too sure what that's referring to. Um, I could do more research. It will be the meeting point between a river that connects between uh, the region of Turkey and Persia. So you're talking perhaps the Euphrates at some area where there becomes a junction. I, I don't know. That's one view. One view says Azerbaijan, which would still be the upper reaches of the Euphrates. Uh, some say it's referring to the Gulf of Aqaba and Sharm el-Sheikh. So if you know you know, in Egypt, you have the, go- the Gulf of Aqaba and you have Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, where basically the Mediterranean and the Red Sea uh, come together, that area. And that seems like a very likely place if you consider that Musa alayhi salam was with Bani Israel in Egypt, and left and crossed the Sinai, was in that region, that would, if those are two bodies of water meeting, that would be the closest to where Bani Israel was in the narrative. So there's a good chance that's where it was. So the meeting place between the Mediterranean and the Red Sea, uh, this Sharma Sheikh uh, Gulf of Aqaba. There's another opinion which states that it is in the Straits of Gibraltar. And the pictures that I attached in the WhatsApp group show you pictures of the Straits of Gibraltar where you have the northernmost tip of Morocco and Spain on the other side, right? That's, that's one view of, of a few regarding that region. Um, there's a masjid on the, on the Moroccan side right there at the tip. There's another view which says it was in a place near it called Tarifa. In the Tafsir it says Varifa but in present day they call that place Tarifa. There's a picture of that too. And at the end of the day Allah knows best. It doesn't have any bearing on the story itself. These are just views that are mentioned in the books of Tafsir. Uh, Some have even said that the Bahar the, the two Bahars refer to Musa and Khidr. Because a Bahar in, in Arabic can also refer to a great scholar, or a person who has lots of knowledge. But that's a, a less literal reading of the verse. Majma al Bahrain would be the place where the two oceans meet, the two oceans of knowledge, these two deeply knowledgeable people. But that's a, not a literal translation. He says, We're going to keep going, even if it takes me a long time seeking. I will continue. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs him through wahi where to go and what direction to go and they're going until they get to this place and they are seeking out this abd min ibadina, this servant from Allah's servants named Khidr who was living before Musa alayhi salam and living at the time of Lord Qarnayn and remain living up to the time of Musa Alayhi salam, and we'll talk a lot about him when we get to it. So as Musa and Yusha are making their way on this journey, looking for this junction between the two bodies of water, uh, his servant is carrying this basket. What's in the basket? It's good you said cooked. It's not just fish, they're carrying cooked fish, salted fish, with bread as well. So they're carrying this cooked fish that's also salted, so it's dead, it's not alive yet. So they're carrying this grilled fish and they set it out in search of khidr. In the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمَّا بَلَغَ مَجْمَعَ بَيْنِهِمَا نَسِيَ hutahuma. Then, when they reached the junction between them, they forgot about their fish. It found its way into the river, slipping away, or you could say ocean. So, between the two bodies of water, between the two rivers, between the two seas, or you could say it's at the the majma the the junction point where they would be meeting each other so there they got to this junction point and they found this sahr this sakhra which is a large stone and close to this large stone the tafsir's mentioned that there was a spring near this large stone called al hayat or the spring of life right and it is said that nothing from that water would be put on anything except that it would come to life. It, it's in the Tafsir literature, right? There's nothing concrete really about it except what we find. So they reach this place, the gathering point, the junction point between the two bodies of water. They get there at night, and they fall asleep. And with the, it says in the Tafsir that with the mist and the coolness and the moisture of that water it touched the fish and the fish is in the basket what happens to the fish the fish begins to shake and wiggle around and then it pops out of the basket ends up in the sea and one narration says that they had even been eating some bites from it before they went down to sleep so it's partially eaten at that yet it starts to wiggle around it jumps up, it flops out, and then it enters the water. And this had happened after Yusha bin Nun uh, woke up. Now this, the picture is one of Musa alayhi salam sleeping. Yusha is awake, and then he witnesses this fish wiggling around in the basket and popping out and jumping into the water. It it comes back to life, goes into the water, it it says here that it found its way into the river, slipping away, or sarabah could also mean that it formed, there's like almost like a, you could say, think of like a bridge or an arch in the water that enabled it to slip away. It, the language is, gives that meaning. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. Imagine if you're out traveling with someone on a picnic and you have fish in a basket. Your friend falls asleep. You fall asleep. You wake up before your friend and as you are awake, you look over at a basket and it starts to wiggle. And the fish that you ate from hours before jumps out, wiggles around, dips into the water and swims away. How could you forget that? How would you forget it? But here it says, They forgot their fish. What does it mean there? A couple of things. And why would Yusha forget something like that? Why would he not tell Musa a that this is what happened to the fish? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after this, Nasiya huma." They forgot their fish. So that means they forgot to check for it, they forgot to inspect the basket. Or it could mean that Yusha simply forgot to tell Musa a.s. And Musa forgot to tell him what to do with it. It's interesting because the verse doesn't say that it was one person who forgot. It says nasiyah. So that's dual. The both of them forgot about it. But the forgetfulness of Yusha has to be different from that of Musa a. Because Musa alayhi didn't see this happen. So some scholars of tafsir say, Yusha forgot to tell him. And Musa salam, forgot to tell him what to do with the fish. Like it was just, it wasn't on his mind. He was focused on getting to his destination. He didn't even ask about it, he forgot about it. But Yusha just forgot to tell him that the fish jumped out miraculously and swam away. How could he forget this? The Ulama of tafsir mentioned a very interesting view. They say that Yusha ibn Nun, he's so used to witnessing miracles being in the company of Musa he's Alayhi salam, he's so used to witnessing these strange breaks with nature that it's like they've become somewhat normal, right? If I don't have, do I have my keys? What's in my pocket? Remember the aqida class? Right? Yeah. So back to another Aqeelah lesson. If you, take, if you take something like this and you drop it a thousand times, it always lands. That's called Hukum Adi. We observe it. Now, what if every other day you see something like a person dropping the keys and they float in the air at first, that's going to be very shocking because it's a break from the norm. You're not used to that. But if you are in the company of Musa Alayhi salam and you see these miracles being in that intimate company. Uh, maybe they won't leave the same impression because whether you, to go back to the keys. If I drop the keys and they land like this Or if I drop them and they float Both of those are The act of God So you're so used to Seeing the act of God In a pattern format You know, normal patterns And the breaking of patterns that It's all the same to you, the act of God So some of the ulama of tafsir Say that Yusha Alayhi I Was so used to seeing this kind of stuff It, it didn't even occur to him To bring it up Whereas if it was a one-time thing and he hadn't seen anything like this before, it's hard to imagine how he could have forgotten to say, Ya Nabi Allah Musa, the fish jumped out and came back to life. That's miraculous. That's one interpretation. Uh, Imam Al-Razi says with regards to Musa, (laughs) he says that it appears that Allah caused Musa to forget it In order to teach him That all knowledge is from Allah Giving it to you So it's a part of the journey A part of the learning experience That even the things that you know The common daily things If Allah doesn't keep them Within your mind and memory You'll forget It's Allah giving you everything This is what he says And then it made its way Into the sea It's Kind of hard to translate this. Basically, it's saying it made its way into the sea. Sarabak, I mean, it it carved its own path as if the water became like an arch gateway of sorts. Uh, Some tafsir say that it means that the water stopped flowing and that the the fish got into the water. But in the area around it, it was like an arch and it was kind of suspended in the water, unable to uh, swim away. So it's alive, it's in the water, but the water around it is not flowing. It almost, ha- almost has it suspended in animation like this, unable to swim away. That's one interpretation. So... Think of the matrix. Yeah, they're... Where they have to stop Exactly. So then Allah Ta'ala mentions in the next verse, فَلَمَّا قَالَ لِفَتَاهُ آتِنَا غَدَاءَنَا لَقَالَ لَقِينَا مِن سَفَرِنَا هَذَا نَصَبًا When they went further, he said to his servant, Bring us our lunch. We were exposed in our travel to much fatigue. أَرَأَيْتَ إِذْ أَوَيْنَا إِلَى الصَّخْرَةِ فَإِنِّي نَسِيتُ وما أنسانيه إلا الشيطان أن أذكره واتخذ سبيله في البحر عجبا. قال ذلك ما كنا نبغ فرتد على آثارهما قصصا. He said, Do you remember when we rested by the rock? I forgot about the fish. It was only the devil who made me forget it, and so it found its way to the river amazingly. He said that is what we were seeking. And so they turned back, retracing their steps. So let's retrace these steps as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Musa to travel to this junction point between the two bodies of water, river or sea, ocean, whatever you want to call it. The al Bahrain. And he told him to put a fish in his basket, a cooked fish. When they reach the place where the fish disappears, that will be where you will meet a servant of mine to whom I've given much knowledge. That's the instruction. So he and Yusha head out with the fish. And as they're traveling, they stop for a rest. They rest by this large rock. Musa goes to sleep. Yusha wakes up and he sees the fish come back to life and slip out into the water making this arch or this tunnel into the sea, kind of suspended there. Yusha alayhi salam forgets to tell Musa about this. They get up and they continue on their way and they travel for a whole day. Think about this. They're traveling. They stop at night to sleep at this large rock. He wakes up in the morning. He doesn't ask for breakfast. They continue on the journey. They go through the whole day, and then later in the day he says, "Atina bring us our ghadah. Rada is the meal in the daytime, not the morning. He says, bring us our meal. We have much fatigue with this journey. And after all of that, Yusha remembers what happened to the fish. And he tells him that, I forgot the fish. And none caused me to forget to mention it what happened to the fish except shaytan through whispering to him to distract him from that perhaps right so he's attributing this forgetfulness to shaytan and that's a way of him humbling himself and also using the proper adab the proper etiquette in attributing one's deficiencies to shaytan right so, that is what he says. And then he says, What fil-bahr'i a'jaba," And it made its way into the sea amazingly. Going through tafsir is quite difficult at times because it's translation. And the translation doesn't always give you the full the possibilities inherent in the language. Because here we come to the issue of pronouns, the lamir, the ضمائر. And it, what's the it referring to? sabilahu? What is it? It's the fish, right? It, the fish made its way into the sea amazingly. Meaning it, it entered the sea in a very astounding way. That is definitely one way you can read the verse. It's the path was amazing, uh, it took an amazing path, or the action of the fish was amazing. Uh, that's how you could read the verse. But you could also read it a little bit differently by changing the pronoun. Watachadasabi Lahu ajaba? the who here could also refer to. Musa So that changes fundamentally how you translate that verse It would mean And he, Musa Alayhi salam, Made his way to the bahar To the sea In an amazing and astounding way So he, made, he retraced his steps To go back to the stone the Back to the, joint, the juncture between the two seas and then the way he did it was amazing and astounding and it's at that point upon returning that he meets Khidr alayhi salam because Musa alayhi salam when he's told by Yusha that he forgot the fish he says that's what we were seeking so what happened to the fish is exactly the sign we were waiting for So Musa Alayhi think about it. He wakes up. As far as he is concerned, the fish is still in the basket. He didn't open the basket. So he's journeying, perhaps thinking that the fish is still in the basket. So if the fish is still in the basket and you're journeying, have you reached your destination? No, because Allah revealed to him that you will meet this person once the fish is lost. But the fish is in the basket, so he thinks... As he continues on day two of the journey, finally they sit down. He says, I'm hungry. Let's eat from this fish. And then Yushar says, I, f- I forgot. I left it over there. I forgot to tell you. It's over there. He says, oh, that's what we were seeking. It got lost. So we need to go back. So they went back and they retraced their steps. And Allah Ta'ala mentions this. He took a path to the sea in an amazing way. So the way he discovered Khidr was uh, amazing. Now, you have to understand that this story, it has uh, l- layers of lessons. So lessons within lessons within lessons. And although we have the story of him getting to Khidr, and then what he witnessed with Khidr, the three things and his parting ways with Khidr, The whole story is actually a story about seeking knowledge, the whole story. So it gives you a lot of points of etiquette for seeking knowledge on Islamic matters. The fact that Musa sleeps by the rock and wakes up and goes the next day thinking the fish is in the basket and then is told that it was forgotten back at the rock and he retraces his steps and he says we face much fatigue in this journey of ours. All of these things are aspects of what a seeker of Islamic knowledge is going to go through. They're going to have certain detours on their road to knowledge. They're going to have certain dead ends as they're seeking to go deeper into the Islamic sciences, where they go to a dead end and they have to go back and retrace their steps because they messed up. Redo this, redo that uh, They're going to get tired Just as Musa Alayhi salam was tired uh, There's fatigue involved So it's all a, a series of lessons about The etiquettes of the seeker of knowledge as well So they go back And it says following the footprints So they returned on the same path Following their own footprints very closely Until they reached the rock once again they get back to the rock and then what happens? Allah Ta'ala tells us فَوَجَدَ عَبْدًا مِنْ عِبَادِنَا آتَيْنَاهُ رَحْمَةً مِنْ عِنْدِنَا وعلمناه من لدنا علما. Then they came upon a servant of ours, whom we had blessed with mercy from us and he had taught him knowledge from our own. There's a lot in this verse. First question, why doesn't Allah Taala say فَوَجَدَا Khidra? Why, why doesn't he say they found Khidr by name? Why does he say instead فَوَجَدَا عَبْدًا مِنْ عبادنا? He, They found a servant of ours, a servant among our servants. Why is this? To show his rank. To show his rank. Because in Arabic you can use indefinite nouns. Like abdun, right, abdun min ibadina. It's an unnamed indefinite servant. Sometimes you can use indefinite nouns for the purpose of ta'zeem, showing the great honor that person has received by keeping them uh, ambiguous or keeping them uh, in the indefinite. So this is an indication of honor Another indication is that Allah ascribes him to himself. He doesn't just say Fawajada Abdan. they found a servant. They say he says, Fawajadah Abdan, a servant, Min from our servants. So Allah is ascribing the servant to him. This is idlafatu Tasharif. It's an ascription of honor. Like Baytullah, Naqatullah, right? So this is an inscription to, to Allah Ta'ala indicating the rank of this person. Now, who is this Abd min from Allah's servants? It is Khidr, Khidr. And his name is said to be Balya ibn Malkan, Yu'usu, otherwise known as Khidr. So Khidr is not his actual proper name. It is a nickname given to him Because as the hadith says One of the miracles given to Khidr Is that whenever he would sit On a barren piece of land It would spontaneously turn green With growth coming up And so he came to be known as Khidr Which literally means the green one That's his uh, description That's mentioned in Sahih Bukhari So this verse says That they get back to the rock And they find a servant of Allah's servants Allah mentions two things about him He says To whom we had given Rahmah, mercy from us And taught directly Some knowledge from us So, it's been narrated that when Musa alayhi salam reaches the stone again, he sees Khidr on a rug and that rug is on top of the water and he's just sitting on the rug, floating on the water. So already he sees this is not an ordinary person, this is a miracle. And Musa alayhi salam goes to him and greets him with the greeting of peace. And Khidr replies by greeting him and also naming him as Musa ibn Imran, identifying him as Prophet Musa alayhi salam. Now, this is where it gets a bit complex. So there's a part of this conversation I'm gonna postpone to the next class, just for the sake of the narrative. And it's mainly two issues. We get to the identity of Khidr Who is Khidr, and was he a prophet, or was he a saintly person? That's an important question. Was he a Nabi, or was he not a prophet receiving wahi, but instead he was a very saintly, pious person whom Allah gave inspiration? That's not wahi, but it's inspiration there is a very strong difference of opinion among the ulama historically about whether he's a prophet or whether he is a wali salih. And we'll examine that in the arguments on both sides. And it's important to talk about that because that has bearing on how we look at the story and what he did. Because depending on whether he's a wali or a nabi, you're going to understand what he did uh, through two different perspectives. So we have to talk about that. The second thing we'll talk about in our next class is the question about his life. Is he still alive or did he die? Because this is another issue that was debated and contested among scholars uh, very early on about the life of Khidr. right? And and we're going to save it for the next class. I don't want to derail the narrative from where we are. We'll come back to those two issues. So for now, they've met for the very first time. Allah Ta'ala says that he has given this individual khidr rahma min indina, a mercy from us. min ladunna and we taught him knowledge from us. What is that rahma and what is that knowledge? Two different things. The ulama of tafsir say that the rahma is either the nubuwah, if he's a prophet, and if he's not, then the rahmah is wilaya, sainthood, intimate closeness in, uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's one or the other. And in the second thing, Allah says, وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ min لَدُنَّ And we taught him knowledge from us. So that's divinely given knowledge. In Arabic, we call this al al Ladunni, because ladun means uh, you see it in the verse, Min ladunna, right, from us. So, al ilmul laduni means inspired knowledge that you don't get through acquiring, through education, learning, and so on. Allah gives it to you directly. This is ilm laduni. it could be ilm you huduri, know, versus ilm husuli, which is the knowledge you acquire through learning. So, that ilm laduni, that knowledge that comes directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to khidr, it's either wahi, if he's a prophet. And if he's not a prophet, then their in the dunni is ilham, it is a uh, inspiration. So we'll talk more about that uh, next week as well, because that's a part of the conversation about whether he's a prophet or a saint. And if he's not a prophet, what's the nature of the knowledge Allah gave him? How is that different from book knowledge? And is there anything else in the Quran and the Sunnah that establishes that for others besides Khidr as a, as a phenomena? And the answer is yes. And there's many proofs for that. So we're postponing those conversations until next class. Musa Alayhi salam gets here. He meets Khidr Alayhi He greets him. He greets him back. And then Musa speaks. Allah mentions, قَالَ Musa. هَلْ أَتَّبِعُكَ عَلَىٰ أَنْ تُعَلِّمَنِي مِمَّا Musa says to him, May I follow you so that you may teach me some of the guidance you were taught. Allah says here that Musa came to learn rushd, which is guidance. That's the point of the story. Now, this is a very interesting verse because We see Musa is initiating the request and he's asking a question. May I follow you so that you may teach me some of the guidance you were taught. Al-Imam Fakhruddin Ar-Razi, rahimahullah mentions in his tafsir, 12 points of benefit that you extract from this verse as it relates to seeking knowledge. We won't go through all 12, don't worry. We'll go through the the most salient points he he mentions. He mentions that from this verse, you learn that Musa humbled himself and made himself a follower. So there's humility. Number two, he sought permission. Then. Number three, by saying, teach me, that you teach me, He's acknowledging that he wants to learn more and that he doesn't know everything. So there's this acknowledgement of desiring to learn. So it's what we call emptying your cup. You know, if the person has the cup and it's, it's filled, they can't receive, right? So he's acknowledging that he doesn't know everything and that he's come to learn. He says, Mimma عُلِّمْتَ Mimma here, is min of taba'id, just partitive means some, some of what you've been taught. Why does he say some? This is indicating humility as well. He's not seeking all of it. He's just seeking some because he's a humble learner. He just wants to learn some. And then he says, mimma what you've been taught. Why doesn't he say what you know? He says, I've come to follow you in order to learn some of what you've been taught. Why doesn't he say, some of what you know? So he's acknowledging that whatever Khidr knows is not independent, it's something Allah gave Khidr as well. So he's seeking the means that Allah has commanded him to seek. To get knowledge that is ultimately from Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala So when he says ullimta This is a passive form but you have been taught I.e. you have been taught by Your creator, your lord This inspired knowledge Allah gave you And he's not asking For uh, Every form of knowledge He's asking for a very particular kind of knowledge Of the knowledge that Allah has taught khidr he says rushda, which means guidance. The kind of guidance, rushd is basically the guidance that protects you from misguidance. So by saying, antu وعلمني, that you should teach me some guidance that you were taught, it's like he's saying that just as Allah blessed you with that knowledge, you should share that knowledge with others. And I've come to ask your permission that i follow you in return for you teaching some just some of what allah has taught you and he's implying through this request that he's going to listen and follow and that is the attitude of the true learner not one who is always objecting and resisting right teachers deal with all sorts of learners right people who come Do you know why it's so much easier to teach adults than children most of the time it's because unless you're i mean if outside of a university setting the adults who come to learn are coming voluntarily they're not forced to be here no one one has to come so the, the fact that you come voluntarily means there is a willingness to learn an openness to seek that means there's less objection and less resistance. When you bring a kid to high school, they don't want to be there. <laughs> they resist, they may object, and it's, it's hard to teach them with that attitude. But Musa alayhi salam, he's going way out of his way to seek and undergo fatigue and uh, go retrace his steps. And then even after all that, he's asking permission humbly to learn because... That's the attitude of a true learner So he's implying that He's not going to object And he's not going to resist Now we see what comes of that And that's for next week And notice In this, this last verse How he says Qala lahu Musa Hal at Ala an tu'allimani mimma Notice the order of the words. He says, first, follow. May I follow you that I may learn some of what you have been taught of guidance. So he mentions following before learning. And Imam al-Razi says that this indicates the importance of khidmah, of of service, as a part of our learning tradition. And, And that's really how it is you know, in the the pre-modern classical Islamic learning tradition, the students would serve the teacher. Could that be abused? Absolutely. Has it been abused? Absolutely. But that does not change the norm of the ideal relationship between the student and the teacher. Because the teacher who teaches you one letter as Imam Ali, uh, famously said, whoever teaches me one letter, I become his servant, right? Think about little tidbits of knowledge that you learned from people years ago that you still benefit from daily, right? If you serve them, they're more likely to give you more. If you resist or you're cold in your relationship with that teacher, if you are distant, you don't do the work, you don't study, you don't memorize, you know, they're less likely to give you more. It's like a child, right? It's almost like a, a, you know, a child and adult relationship. Think about um, a child it's not yours, right? Your own children, you have to deal with them. But think about uh, a random child in the masjid. They come to a program. They're with the kids, playing around, running around, doing whatever. Uh, and when you talk to them, they're very well-mannered they ask very good questions they're very respectful they think about others they don't talk back how much more likely are you to give them important life lessons and talk to them and impart benefit to them because of their adab and service to you you're much more likely now contrast that with the kid (laughs) who's hitting other kids, running around, making messes, going to the classrooms, knocking things over, spilling things, fighting, shouting, cursing, you know it, talking back to adults, strangers, oh, you're not my mom, you can't tell me anything. Uh, how likely are you to sit down and say, you know, let me, I'll give you some really good life advice, you know, they're not listening. You don't want to have anything to do with them, right? So when the when the child is more amenable to learning, they tend to be also good with good adab so there's lessons in all of this you know the lessons you can go into the there's dozens and dozens of lessons just in the first part of the story you see the lesson for us in having humility the intellectual humility recognizing that no matter how much we learn and how much we know there's always going to be more to know there's always going to be people who have more knowledge than us and that the only true path of learning is to have humility in your learning the moment you have arrogance and you're learning thinking you know it all is the day you stop learning because you cannot teach a person who thinks they know it all. That's an internal resistance that prevents real knowledge from getting into them. It also shows us the importance of uh, seeking knowledge itself, right? It has to be something active. We are not better than Sayyidina Musa salam, and if Allah ta'ala told him to travel in a very vigorous Difficult laborious journey for knowledge. What about those who are not receiving wahi? Shouldn't there be some little bit of sacrifice, a little bit of toil, a little bit of effort put into seeking knowledge that will be implemented and benefit them in all eternity? Because it's not just learning uh, sciences and subjects that only benefit us here. it's stuff that benefits us here and in the hereafter. So he had to travel, sleep by a rock, get hungry, all this stuff. Uh, We also learn from this story the importance of respecting Ahlul Ilm, the people of knowledge. We learned this in the way that Musa spoke to Khidr in the beginning of the story. Now we know that he has objections later on, and we'll explain those objections and show you how he had to object because that's a part of his Sharia. So he wasn't doing anything wrong by objecting. So he starts with humility, and even though he objects, that there was a reason why he objected. But there's respect for Ahlul Ilm, for the people of knowledge demonstrated in this story. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says in the hadith, wa كَمَا قَالَ wa 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 ya, wa He is not from us, the one who does not respect our elders, does not show mercy to our young, and does not acknowledge the right of our scholars. So acknowledging that right, it kind of opens that space, that internal space to enable you to benefit from what they have. right, that's why you'll find uh, ulama, big scholars. I'll tell you something about North America. In many places around North America, in random cities, you have people who have studied a great deal, who have even written books, and have a lot to offer, but they are in a time and a place where they're not even recognized by their communities. People don't even know that they're actually very high level in their knowledge. And there's, an, there's this barrier, and so no one in the community benefits from that person, right? then you have people who have their own internal barriers that keeps them from from benefiting from someone in their community and then people in the same community who don't have those barriers and they benefit from them right so everyone is going to benefit from the person who has knowledge proportionate to the openness and the humility they have to seek what they can seek from that person and each teacher each scholar is going to have something unique to offer that the other doesn't have And this is why it's good to have lots of teachers, because you have lots of different perspectives. And as you get grounded in the fundamentals, you can reconcile between a lot of things. And you can also understand the depth of the Islamic sciences. If you only have one or two teachers, uh, it may benefit you in your personal life, but it, it can also stunt you if you don't expand and go out. But the condition of that is having respect for those people, right? And not considering them infallible, but having respect for them and learning from them in their area of expertise, their area of expertise. But that's a longer conversation about seeking knowledge. But we see some of these within the beginning part of the story of the meeting between Sayyidina Musa and Khidr. So our next class, inshallah, we will explore. Was he a prophet or a wadi? What about the life of Khidr? And then we look at the stories, why Musa objected and what happens at the end of that? Insha'Allah Ta'ala. Wallahu wa alam wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.